The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. We live in a fast-paced, hectic world where it is easy to feel overwhelmed, stressed, and out of control. How do you manage all the competing pressures without losing your sense of yourself? How do you stay focused enough to not only plot a path, but follow it? Welcome to Master Your Life, a show that offers inspiration, insight, and intelligence, as well as success stories from many walks of life that can show you how you can control your own destiny. Our knowledgeable and entertaining hosts and their guests give practical advice that you can use every day in the quest to master your life. Now... Here are your hosts, Leah Mattinson and Dr. Howard Rankin. Welcome to Master Your Life. I'm co-host Dr. Howard Rankin, and along with Leah Mattinson, we're here to give you insight, inspiration, and intelligence to help you really get control of your life, if control is possible, which is going to be one of the themes of today's show. Um, Since our last recording, um, I actually took a break, and I was gone for a few days, and, and Leah went to an important conference on Huntington's disease. How was that, Leah? Oh, the conference was absolutely outstanding, Howard. Thank you so much for asking. Uh, It was very, it's been eight years since I've been at a conference. Um, And so I've been involved with Huntington's, the society and fundraising and all that other good stuff in in other capacities, but it's been a very long time since I attended a national conference. Uh, So I was struck I guess by just the um, amount of courage in the room of people who not only are, have the disease, but their caretakers and the genuine, you know, care and concern of the Huntington Society and the uh, doctors that are involved with caring for all of these families in a disease that actually has no cure. And so I just think that that's an interesting uh, segue into what we're talking about today, which is the idea of, you know, how do we think about our lives and how, how much control do we or, or do we not have? Yeah, absolutely. And, and um, you know that uh, I'm, this is something that is, is very close <laughs> to my heart and, and important to me. And, and uh, you know, I have my book soon coming out called I Think, Therefore I'm Wrong, um, which can be, you can uh, sign up for a copy at my website, um, I think, therefore I'm wrong.com. Um, but this whole concept of, you know, the need for control and what we do to try to get control and how we think and and some of the frailties of, of human cognition and perception and the way we think um, oftentimes, you know, really deceives us. And unfortunately, I think we live in a world where deception and misinformation is is so rampant that it makes it even more likely that I think, therefore, I'm wrong. Yeah, and we really got into talking about um, it about the Huntington's conference, but also in terms of what goes on and uh, how people make decisions. Because politically, there was just this uh, you know huge election in the states, and so we were just talking about how how is it that people come up with their ideals or ideas, and what influences 
do people take to heart and actually uh, not only act and operate on, but then continue to act and operate on as things roll forward? So, Howard, I just you know wonder if you could talk a little bit more about that, since you are the American counterpart of this wonderful team. <laughs> Well, sure, I'd be happy to um, to elaborate a bit on that. So, um, we are all influenced, obviously, by a, a gazillion factors, um, from our upbringing to the experiences that we have to our genetics to, I mean, there are so many factors that influence who we are. And um, rather than the brain being a sort of truth-seeking uh organ really what we do we're really storytellers and all the research really in in this field suggests that as i say we're not truth seekers we create stories we're great rationalizers we create stories that are consistent with our emotional state so um Part of the reasons why I came up with, I think, therefore I'm wrong, you know, Descartes, the philosopher in the 16th century, came up with that with the notion that rationality is a sort of this wonderful characteristic of mankind. But the fact is, actually, we're not really that rational. That on a day-to-day basis, almost every one of us is guided by as I said, our experiences, all sorts of factors that have influenced us that create an emotional state and we want to feel in control and feeling in control feels like feeling emotionally consistent and calm. You know, if you're anxious and you're depressed, that doesn't feel like being in control, although it might reflect a more realistic state. So what we do is we try to create these narratives that make us feel comfortable and make us feel in control. And of course... You know, a lot of times those narratives don't really stand up to close inspection, but then people are going to believe and are committed to, to their narratives and their story, but it's theirs. What, what, yeah. One of the biggest problems, one of the biggest myths, I think, of contemporary times in sort of pop psychology is, you know, perception is reality. Well, perception's your reality for sure, but it isn't the reality, and yes. there's the mismatch. Yeah, and even the the concept of rational thinking, like if it, it, the what does that even mean? Yes. You know, it's it's kind of like consciousness. It's this tofu of, you know, woo woo. That does it actually mean anything? Can you connect it to anything? Just that word. So the terms that we use to describe mm-hmm. rational versus irrational thinking right. uh, are even at loggerheads. Yeah, and you can say, well, I'm rational, for example. You can say, well, I really believe this election was a fraud. And you take that assumption based on your own emotional narrative. Well, logically from that, you can take all sorts of steps if you think it's a fraud. But it doesn't mean you're being rational <laughs> because the original concept, the assumption that you're making, really comes from narrative really rather than much data. Right. And so, is there any truth to then your inner world reflects your outer world? Is that a measure of? Well, I think it does because your narratives and your thought processes very much are about your inner world and keeping that under control and keeping consistent um, and satisfying those inner needs. And so, your narrative and your rationalizations are going to be based on that inner need, mm-hmm. not an external reality. Mm-hmm. So if you have a inner world that says, 
I am a goddess and I am the perfect health and I am a great parent and the outer reality reflects that you're, you know, 50 pounds overweight, smoking, can't make it up a flight of stairs and your kids won't speak to you. Yep. <laughs> what happens then <laughs> with that disconnect? What happens? Well, you're going to have some big problems because mm-hmm. that inner reality is going to clash with the external reality and there's going to be a big gap there. And you see people who have that. And that's actually a good indication of that gap, that mismatch between inner narratives, external reality. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact is nobody is immune from this. I think this is right now, this is the way the human brain works. Now, I say right now because I think it's definitely possible for the human brain to evolve. Uh, and, I, and I think that's possible and I hope that it does. But right now, partly in the, in the society, partly the nature of human beings, but also in the society, in the context we find ourselves, that has just exacerbated and made worse this tendency of being very, very self-centered is really what it comes down to. Yeah. And so can you think of an example from your own life, Howard, where you would currently be experiencing this, where your inner world does not reflect your outer world? As you said, none of us is immune. So well, I, I can I I, uh, I can think of some um, some trivial examples, mm-hmm. um, and this is and this actually I start my book off like this. So mm-hmm. my book starts off with um, a few months ago I had a cardiological workup, you know, right. just just a checkup. Okay, and, and as part of that. I had a halter monitor on, which monitors your heart rate for 24 hours. Mm-hmm. Okay. And um, I spoke to the cardiologist and she said, yeah, put it on where for 24 hours. And actually in the morning, you know, I know sometimes you like to go for a run. That would be great. Go for your run in the morning. We can see what happens to your heart rate then. And then come in after that and let's look at the heart monitor and, you know, we'll see what it says. And I thought that's cool. And they gave me this heart monitor and I could see all this, the, the time on it and the heartbeat going and great. And um, so I went to bed and I got up the next morning and the screen was blank. And I thought, oh, "Oh, shoot, no, the thing isn't working now. So then what did I do? I I grabbed an idea. I knew that the technician who gave it to me was new because Mm. I heard him getting instruction from one of the other people in the clinic. So, okay, the thing doesn't work. The guy made a mistake. He's new. What a pain in the neck because I really don't want to wear this for another 24 hours, you know. (laughs) And I'm definitely not going for my run because there's no point. And for the next couple of hours, this was brewing and stewing in my head. How should I handle it? I'm a little annoyed, but, you know, I don't want to get the guy into trouble. And I'll just say, well, it's a little frustrating, but it's okay. I'm rehearsing the conversation I have with the doctor. Okay, so this is taking up my time. Right. I go to the clinic. Hand my halter monitor to the technician and I say, it stopped working. And he said, no, no, it hasn't. That's how it's meant to be. (laughs) (laughs) Trivial trivial example, but you can see how that happens all the time, right? Yes, yes. Oh, completely, completely. All the time, not necessarily trivial things, big things too, because... You know, you don't have all the information. You can only go on what you have, and then you're going to create this narrative. 
Right. And sometimes you have all the information and you still choose to do other things. Well, that's true. Well, okay. yeah. I'll, yes. give you another, I'll give you another example. And it's, again, these are simple examples, but hopefully people can relate to them. So um, there's a, a restaurant that we like to go to sometimes for a Sunday lunch brunch. Um, and every year in, in on Hilton Head, there's a St. Patrick's Day parade. And they all congregate before right near this restaurant. Okay, so as we're talking about what we're going to do, you know, I say to my wife, you know, it's they have the St. Patrick's Day thing. It's going to be packed in the restaurant. Let's just not go. Let's just go. You know, let's let's forget it for today. Right. (laughs) So it just so happened we ended up going by and the place is empty. Right. Oh, my place is empty. Why? Um, Because everyone had the same thought. Right. And so nobody went to the restaurant. (laughs) And that's a scary idea. Everybody having the same thought can impact one guy's business. Just (laughs) boom. Right. And so, again, those are trivial examples, but I think they give you, uh, and I want them to be trivial because otherwise um, people might not be able to relate to them. But I think who cannot relate to stuff like that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and the other narratives I think we tell ourselves is, um, and we know better, uh, I know better, I've had enough sleep is a really <laughs> common one. <laughs> I've had enough sleep, that sleep was pretty good, when in fact, you know, you're stretching yourself more and more thin, and then at one point or another, you you know, you're, you've got some catch-up to do. And so those right. are really simple, again, simple examples that happen all the time. Well, you can excuse, you can rationalize anything, can't you? You, mm-hmm. can, you can make I a can. case... For any, well, you and the rest of us. Um, maybe you're particularly good at it, but but you know anyone can make a case for anything, right? Mm-hmm. And you will min. First of all, you won't know the data, and if you do, you'll minimize it. I think a good one is weight gain, right? Mm. Uh, you know, I've only gained. Uh, yeah, I gained ten pounds. Yeah, not big deal. Actually, ten pounds if you're in like five six, is two BMI points. Mm. You know, that's a lot. That's increasing your risk of heart disease and stroke and diabetes, <laughs> right? Now, yes, most people yes, wouldn't know that. They just, they just dismiss it as, oh, boy, you know, these clivers are a bit tight. Mm-hmm. Um, no, it's more than that. You know, you've just increased your mortality risk. Yes. And, and you, we could go on and on and on endlessly, literally, with examples like that because – we are rationalizers who want emotional consistency. We're not that interested in the truth. And so how do we then um, establish what the truth is? Because if we can't establish a truth for ourselves, then we don't have a you know basis from which to operate from. You know, so we don't have a stake in the ground or stakes in the ground around the things that would be important to us if we don't have kind of that internal truth. So how do we um, differentiate um, kind of the truth that will serve us versus the truth that isn't serving us or the untruth? Yes. Right. And here you get down to, the, now we're talking about principles and morality and, um, you know, rules that people live by. Um, and that's fine. And then, and, and that's important, right? I think I think that's one of the reasons why, um, people believe fervently, you know, if they're religious, that their religion is very important because it does provide 
the rules and the principles to live by. Uh, and again, of course, you can convince yourself, well, you d- that doesn't really apply to you or that's not really the rule. But the fact is, if you don't have that, that, that moral compass and moral guide, then, you can, then you're left to make it up. Then we'll end up with a sort of moral relativism, which is, is really what we have, yeah. certainly in the United States, where people think, well, it's my right to make up whatever moral rule I want. Moreover, not only my right to make it up, it's you have to agree with it. Yes, you have to live by it and support it like a raving fan. <laughs> that's, that's right. And you have to change accordingly. And that, to me, is very concerning. Um, because what that does is it erodes, I think it erodes morality, it erodes principle, it erodes integrity, um, and then it becomes sort of a free-for-all for everybody, and that's scary to me, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, there so, must think, be so there must be some comfort that people find in being in all of that uh, cognitive dissonance. So what, why is it that people find such comfort in that, even if it's not true? Because you know what, it's a lot easier to it's a lot easier to think you're right and but you're occasionally wrong than to think you really don't have a clue and you don't know, right? Yeah. And a, right, and a basic the basic most basic human need is for certainty and control. Yep. And exactly. so we will do anything, including selling our mother to the Mark Fish Market <laughs> in order to have certainty. Because people will say, oh, I will never do that. I will never do that. You will never catch me doing that. I absolutely would never do that. And as soon as there is some something in their life that challenges that sense of certainty at a really primal level, people violate their own principles and morals and standards all the time, all the time. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes. You can always find a reason uh, for anything, right, or yeah. a rationalization for anything. Yeah. And, and I do think that this is important because I am concerned about, you know, technology is, is great in many ways, but one of the downside is it leads, it opens up, you know, anyone to espouse anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and you it's not so much I don't think that knowledge is doubling every 18 months I think it's misinformation <laughs> is, is, yes. is doubling and, yeah. and and perhaps when we come back you know let's talk about that because uh, a former guest of ours David Katz uh, the health promotion expert um, who was on our show a few weeks ago just wrote a really interesting piece about that in relation to health and it's exactly what we're talking about here so when we come back on Master Your Life we'll continue the conversation we'll con- continue to explore the notion that I think therefore I'm wrong Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. If you've been searching for fat loss and mental clarity in one place, think ketosis. Maybe you've heard about a ketogenic diet but have been totally turned off by the painstaking effort to do it. Well, agonize no longer because there is a solution. What could be just as simple and easy as taking your daily vitamins? Visit reallifetraining.expert to find out. Raise your hand and get in on the front end of the total wellness revolution. Get well, manage your mood, clear your mind. Visit reallifetraining.expert now. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. 
Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. You are tuned in to Master Your Life. To reach Leah Mattinson, Dr. Howard Rankin, or their guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to Leah, that's L-E-A-H-A, at changeyourlife.expert. Now, back to Master Your Life. Welcome back to Master Your Life. I'm host Leah Mattinson, joined by my co-host, Howard Rankin. And we're talking today about, I think, therefore, I am wrong, which is Howard's new book, and you can find on his website. And right before the break, Howard, we were talking about this whole idea of uh, how much cognitive dissonance we all have and that we're all suscept- uh, susceptible to making up stories and storytelling uh, so that we can get our basic needs met. And you were just citing this uh, really interesting article um, by a leading lifestyle as medicine fellow, uh, Dr. David Katz, who's been a guest on this show, but he recently uh, wrote an article that caught your eye. Can you maybe just uh, talk a little bit about what caught your eye about what David had to say? Well, he was talking about this this trend in terms of increasing misinformation. Uh, again, people think that they are experts, and it's it's unclear whether they really are, uh, because you know with the internet, anyone can be a radio show, anyone can be a TV show. They can broadcast whatever they want, um, with or without any credibility, and. Uh, His point was that when he first got into Madison, when his clients came to see him, when his patients came to see him, they were looking to him for information. They didn't pretend or think that they knew very much at all. Now that's all changed. People come in with all sorts of ideas they found on Facebook or Twitter or wherever it is, um, because that's the world we live in now. Anyone can put out anything about anything. And that makes his job of managing people's health a lot more difficult. And the Mm -hmm. fact is, today, everyone thinks they're an expert about everything. Uh, (laughs) So what is it that actually gives somebody expert status? (laughs) Well, well, is it perceived expert status or real expert status? I I think what gives somebody real expert status is somebody who's actually studied the field, has experience in the field, understands the science uh, and the data of the field. Uh, But what we see too much of today is because you can make it work economically mm-hmm. is to set yourself up as an expert and sell whatever you want because you know blah 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 you know use the marketing tools show that this is a great product for x and i would offer i guess in from my experience anyway the expert status i think that um as i've gotten more mature and I would like to also say older at the same time. <laughs> just I've gone through the, the moments myself of going, oh, I know everything that there is to know about X, Y, Z. 
and the truth, and this is a truth, not a storytelling thing. The truth is I didn't know anything about being a mother until I was one. Mm-hmm. And man, I, I was, my, my uh, education is in a specialization, a, a designation in child and youth care work. And so uh, somebody who should be very well equipped to raise parents and have kids and, and all that stuff. And it's a very, very different thing when you're actually the one raising them. And so through all of these little um, learnings, as I call them in my life, and everybody has learnings in their lives. Some some have less learnings, lucky for them, <laughs> or not. No, no, actually uh, not And some of us have more learnings. Uh, but lots of expertise comes from having successfully navigated through something like physically in your own life, in, in the real world, and having the alchemy, as I like to call it, of turning whatever that lead is into gold. Yeah. And that... There's many people who profess to have some sort of knowledge of something that it's only book knowledge, and right. until they've walked through the you know desert of, uh, and and gone to the other side themselves, I think lots of people have great ideas. They might even have great theories, um, have you know looked at some great uh, data and information, and that doesn't necessarily make them the go-to. Absolutely. Absolutely right. And on, on that subject of, you know, being book smart or, or, or you know, understanding things at a rational article level, um, you know, one of my favorite quotes is from a statistician called George Box, who said, all theories, all scientific theories are wrong, some are useful. And, and really what he meant by that is inevitably the human brain has to simplify a situation. Reality is incredibly complex, so we have to simplify it. But in simplifying it, very often we distill out the most important things. So it's very difficult to scale that. Mm-hmm. And so that's a limitation, a current limitation, because I'm, I believe the brain can and will develop. But that's a current limitation, is that in an attempt to grasp control of a very complex world, we simplify things way too much. Right. And, and, and one of the ways we do that is the binary brain. Well, it's either this or it's that. Well, there's probably a thousand possibilities, not just two. We've talked about that before. Is it yes. really yeah. this or that, or is it this and that, and a gazillion other things? Yeah. And, and we've reached such complexity in our world that now we need that. You know, yeah, and we don't when, do well with a range of choices either. <laughs> no, we yeah. don't. For that reason, yeah. that brain is really is really not geared to do that. It's much more equipped to be binary and say either or. That's mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. One or the other. Yes. So in our constant quest <laughs> to fight against that binary brain, and maybe fight against it isn't the right words because I'm not much into the fight thing, but to figure out how to work in harmony with that higher part of ourselves that steps out of the binary brain to be able to figure out what those truths are. Um, the the only way that you can navigate through things, in my, in my opinion only, is that you, there has to be someone who has done it before or is doing it and that you can look at you can get some sort of an uh, somebody to emulate and to figure out steps and and of course there's always pe- the people who do it first you know the first man on the moon and mm-hmm. he didn't do that himself though <laughs> and yeah, and science does have its place you know so the first man on the moon didn't get there without the spaceship so there are sometimes um when i'm talking about the science things maybe people not just being book smart i don't um 
I don't devalue what science brings because I think it helps also to, um, yeah, it helps to support, you know, making advances that are hopefully quicker. Uh, and, and sometimes that doesn't work out, but the hope is, I think when people have their intentions in the right spot, that that changes the outcome of a lot of things. Yeah. And again, scientific endeavor and research, um, you know, a a lot of it's wrong, but some of it's really valuable and Mm -hmm. it moves the needle. It moves you in a certain way. And over time, you begin to understand some of you drill down into that complexity. You, You know, I came up with a term the other day called iceberg thinking. In other words, what we tend to do is just look at the tip of the iceberg and we don't even consider what's really underneath, right? Mm-hmm. And it's what underneath is going to get you, as, <laughs> as the passengers on the Titanic found out, right? So right. It's, it's easy to look at this superficially and say, oh, okay, that's how it is. Oh, it's a choice between this and this. Well, this is what I feel much more comfortable with. That's it. Fine. Well, I've resolved that. Well, you know, if you're talking about where to go dinner, yeah, it probably works. If you're talking about you know, major life decisions, it probably doesn't. Not as uh, much. <laughs> not as much. And if you're talking about worldview too, does it, you know. Yes. And I think that the other, the other value that science has, even when uh, I disagree with it, I go, uh, it's really good to have tension between two beliefs because it actually makes you aware of them all the time. And then when you're aware of something, you actually are able, I'm able to do something yes. with that. Uh, so yeah. when I was recently at this Huntington's conference and, uh, you know, the people in the room who are symptomatic, some of them are very symptomatic, but their Korea is very advanced. And uh, for the other ones, their Korea is not as advanced. And Korea is the movement disorder in Huntington's disease. And if anyone ever wants to see what that looks like, just um, Google Chris Furby Huntington's dance. And he's got a great little video. It's very short of his mom. And it's several years old, but it really is. It, it, it is the picture of what Huntington's looks like. And so I was sitting in this room and it's filled with scientists and and um, caregivers and people who have Huntington's. So there's this great group and great mix of people. And and so the Huntington Society of Canada, their promotion, their single goal, of course, is to um, cure this thing one way or another to get rid of it so that it doesn't exist anymore. And so there's many uh, approaches that science takes to try to um, um, figure out how they're going to beat this thing. And it, it, there are several different ways that they're that they're working after to do that. And so there's this expectation, you know, that people raise money for it, just like they do for breast cancer or anything else. Neurological diseases don't necessarily get as much of the um, public um, attention, I guess, as uh, cancer per se. So... So it's just interesting, though, as we're sitting there with the scientists who have now, so it's been eight years since I was at a conference, and really the there hasn't been any quote-unquote advances made. Uh, but 10 years ago, nobody was talking about lifestyle as medicine. Nobody was talking about being able to heal their brain through um, how, how it is that you live your life. And at this conference, uh, there was much people who were there attending that have Huntington's, and their family were totally open to hearing that. Which is very different right. because 10 yeah. years ago, everyone was hoping scientists right. were going to figure out how to heal it. And, right. uh, you know, so so there's this kind of the disconnect or the tension between that science serves a purpose and we can also do lots of things that make us well or can make us well. Yeah, and and that's good to hear. And, and the fact is uh, science, and again, I think 
to some extent, you need to divide it between the physical sciences and the, and the behavioral and medical sciences. Um, you know, physical science, a nice thing about the physical world, by and large, I mean, we do have uncertainty, the uncertainty principle that came in about 100 years ago. But by and large, um, the physical world acts very consistently, right? Um, you know, a molecule of water is not like a human being. Otherwise, it would say, ah, I can't be bothered today. I'm going to boil at 130 degrees, you know, <laughs> uh, which would be a problem. But it doesn't do that. It's very consistent. So there's there's difference between science and technology where, hey, you can work out the hard and fast rules pretty much. Uh, when we get to where people are involved and we get to behavioral, medical stuff, you know, then there's a lot more error that comes in. There's a lot more complexity that comes in. And it's, and it's very difficult to do really powerful research. I yeah, mean, but the big but I think the big error that science made and it, and they will admit it now some of them is this whole idea that the brain is hardwired for the last right. several hundred years. That's actually what people have been told is that their brains are hardwired that once they've had a trauma or a disease to the brain that it can't be healed and up until uh, like as soon as like 10 years ago I can't remember Dr. Norman Doidge wrote a book and it might be getting mm-hmm. past 10 years now uh, the brain that changes itself so, the brain right. that heals itself and that um, he basically went around and was uh, interviewing university labs all over the world and finding out this really cool uh, new information that neuroplasticity is a real thing. So people's brain cells actually do change and grow. People are amazing. Like their brains are an amazing thing that yep. adapts under horrific sometimes um, circumstances. So people who, you know, have a complete hemisphere of their brain are still functioning. Uh yeah, so what, it's like going back to that whole, the conversation about who are the experts. <laughs> right. Well, and yeah, that's right. And and that changes. It changes with time. It changes with new data and information. Yeah, it changes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's just a reflection of the complexity of the world and how difficult it is for us in some ways to embrace that change, you know? Mm-hmm. Um but you're absolutely right. Probably one of the biggest, biggest medical changes in the last decade or so is the notion that the brain is plastic and you, you can change it, which makes me more optimistic given that what I've been saying is to some extent the brain is l- limiting mm-hmm. right now the way we use it. Okay. Right. When we use it, we've, we've trained it perhaps to be limiting. Um, but I certainly see the possibility of retraining the brain so that it really could focus, for example, on more, thing, more than one thing at a time. How cool would that be? Because multitasking is really you know, task switching at the moment. But if you really could look at three things and get a sense of each of them in relationship to each other, rather than having to look at each one and stand back from it, yeah, just think how amazing that would be. I think that I think theoretically that's possible. So, so I do believe the brain can evolve, and we can evolve, and our thought process can evolve, process can evolve too. Um, so, why would anyone be interested in that? Why would anyone want to get out of their little bubble of the bubble of their story? The story, because <laughs> the way that I read. Um, the science literature and, and also other literature and what I know myself. People who have, emo- we've talked about this on the, this program before, people who have emotional control, mm-hmm. people who are ability to, to say, wait a minute, I know that's going through my mind, but maybe that's not quite right. Let me think about that. Let me drill down to that. Those people 
simply are happier and more successful. And you can see yes. why. Yes, right? yes, absolutely. You, see, you know, there's a classic um, study by Walt Michaud and Stanford in the 1970s and others since then that showed that children in kindergarten who were able to delay, you know, gratification and, you know, wait and get two, two marshmallows instead of one actually were better, just had a whole better outcome in life over many things. Yeah. So emotional control Remember, emotion is driving your thinking. If you have emotional control, then you're going to have much better control over your thinking. You have the ability to stand back and say, boy, I, I, I know that that just seems like, you know, that guy's a jerk. But wait a minute. I only know a small amount of it. Perhaps, you know, I need to reserve my judgment and find out more and all of that. And that sort of discernment, I think, is going to end up leading to better decision making. And I also think it's going to lead to happier and probably a more fulfilled and successful life. So so that's the big payoff. So when we come back on the other side, uh, we will continue to talk about, I think, therefore, I'm wrong, the limitations or the current limitations of the mind and the brain and how we can perhaps minimize the damage that comes when we think that we are right, particularly about everything. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. If you've been searching for fat loss and mental clarity in one place, think ketosis. Maybe you've heard about a ketogenic diet but have been totally turned off by the painstaking effort to do it. Well, agonize no longer because there is a solution. What could be just as simple and easy as taking your daily vitamins? Visit reallifetraining.expert to find out. Raise your hand and get in on the front end of the total wellness revolution. Get well, manage your mood, clear your mind. Visit reallifetraining.expert now. The Voice America Live Events page is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. You are tuned in to Master Your Life. To reach Leah Mattinson, Dr. Howard Rankin, or their guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to Leah. That's L-E-A-H-A at changeyourlife.expert. Now, back to Master Your Life. And welcome back to Master Your Life. Before the break, we were talking about the concept of I think, therefore I am wrong, which is Dr. Howard Rankin's current work that he has available on his website. Just invite you to check that out. And Howard, we're just really focusing in a little bit on how do we become aware of this faulty thinking or storytelling? 
Well, I, I think there are several things. The first thing is to be aware of the process that we've been describing. That, you know, we base our thoughts on our emotions. We want to be in control. We want to have emotional comfort. And that's what really drives the narratives that we generate. I think it's important to understand that process. We also, sorry, go. Sorry, so would an example of that, if somebody is going, well, how would I know that's happening to me right now? And so the feeling words, things that you might feel would be like annoyance, frustration, um, resentment, anger, impatience. Um, yeah, prob- yeah, probably and, any and strong emotion, really, actually, yeah. or yeah. uncomfortable emotion, mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah, and I think part of that comes to when you are making judgments, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I think that really comes in to play because most of the time we only know, if any, of the situation or only a very, very small part of it. It's taken out of context. We really don't know. Um, but, you know, we, we feel justified to jump in and, and, and make judgments about all sorts of things. Right. That we and, really don't know about. And media uses this uh, kind of lack of awareness or uh, to like play havoc with us. Also, well, I, yeah, and I think yeah, and I think that you look at marketing and you look at media. Mm-hmm. It, it it has gone from being somewhat discerning and and data based to really communication is about emotional manipulation. I mean, that's really what it is. And, and you read any book on, and I wrote one, you read any book on communication, what do they say? It's all about emotional manipulation. And so people have taken that, marketers have done it, and now the media are doing it, and you know, everyone's doing it on Facebook um, and in social media. What they're trying to do is, in order to get attention, they're manipulating people's emotions. And they specifically want people's attention because they want them to align with them. So there's mm-hmm. there's a purpose. It's a purposeful reason why people are um, being manipulated. And it's, it's often so subtle that uh, it's hard to catch it until after you have spent more than what you thought you were going to spend. Or, you know, <laughs> like it's a good example, uh, after you've, you know, gone out and bought the Porsche and you were only going to buy the Volkswagen Jetta. <laughs> That's exactly right. So, so what marketers have known intuitively is about cognitive bias and the way the mind works. Now, we've, now we're really unraveling that and then really being able to identify that. Um, and they're right. Okay, so, you know, if you want to be a successful communicator, you are an emotional manipulator. Now, you can be an emotional manipulator for good, or you can be an emotional manipulator for very selfish, narcissistic reasons. Um, You know, in my book, I talked about those principles and said, now, it's not the principles for you can use these principles to, you know, do good, you know help somebody be cured from, you know, addiction or what have you, or you can use them to con an old lady out of all her retirement. And you can. Um, And unfortunately, we now, again, I think because of technology and the media and the developments there, you know, we've we've veered way more away from, well, what's, can we find out what's really going on here? What are the facts to emotional manipulation? And now, so we live in a world of that. So people, that's how people react. And that's how they relate to each other. Yeah. And it's interesting how things have evolved over a span of time again saying I'm older and more mature maybe not the more mature part it just 
traveling with other people this week uh, and uh, in a vehicle and there was an accident beside us and how Uh-oh. I was raised, how I was raised is to uh, like, and the police were on scene. So it wasn't like an accident and nobody was there. There was the police were there, the ambulance was there, all of that. And so how I was raised was that you, you actually don't look at what's going on. You keep on driving and you make sure that there's no other incidents. Uh-huh. <laughs> the people right, in right. the car that I was with were just like, that was the most interesting thing. And they made up a whole story about what had happened and what they could see right, and the bits of right, things they could see. Right, and I right. was absolutely just uh, like blown away. And, and, and uh, yeah, and yes, right, very yep. judgmental and not impressed because I thought, <laughs> holy smoke, are you, you guys just spent like 15 minutes of your life talking about somebody right. who might be actually dead. Um, right. You know, yep. so you didn't even have compassion for that. Right. Like just very um, surface sort of, almost like everything's a big game. Yes, that's right. And it's, it's a really, it's a great example. And I'm glad you brought it up because many people go through life with that sort of what I call mental rubbernecking. You know, mm-hmm. here's, a, here's, here's, a, here's something over here. Oh, i got to look at that. Here's something over there. Oh, I'm getting engaged in that. And they're engaging in all this sort of mental chatter and rubbernecking, looking at all the things going on around them. But they're not going anywhere, right? Mm-hmm. It's not getting them anywhere. And it's irrelevant a lot of the time. And going to your example, which I think is great. I'm glad you raised that. Perception is unreliable. We know this from research on eyewitness accounts. Right. Eyewitness accounts are very unreliable. People will vary enormously in what, in, in, for example, in that accident, probably the people in the car would say, oh, no, I saw it this way. No, no, this is what happened, you know? The fact is they're probably both wrong or got a little bit of truth in them. And because perception is a function of this reconstruction process that goes on, we want to construct it the way we want to construct it, and we'll believe it. And, and so the, the research on eyewitness accounts is very clear, which is kind of scary when you think about how many people have been convicted based on eyewitness accounts. Um, and, and, and also memory is the same way. Memory is unreliable. Right. So if I remember that I'm a 10, oops, that could be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> That could be faulty. Darn, darn. <laughs> well, well, it could be. In your case, I'm not sure. But the, 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 the fact is memory is unreliable. Each time you remember something, you recreate it, and it is subject to distortion by the context in which you are in. Uh, what else you hear people saying about it, how it's presented to you. Uh, there was one um, uh Elizabeth Loftus is a big memory researcher. In one experiment she did, she showed photos of an accident, interestingly enough, and asked people to say what had happened. Um, If she described the photo as cars smashing into each other as opposed to running into each other, people said, oh, yeah, there was broken glass. Oh, you know, they responded to how it was presented, okay? Even though there was no broken glass in the photo, when they said, yeah, when those cars smashed into it, what did you see? So people (laughs) construct. Memory is an act of construction based on your own personal biography. Which can be very exciting. (laughs) It can be very exciting and it can be great. It can be incredibly dramatic and awesome, but it's probably wrong. It can also be, so that's an example of when it's used for not good, but (laughs) for the not so good. So when we talk about using it for good, though, it's also your memory or your ability of your mind to paint pictures, if you use it on yourself, (laughs) can be um, an absolutely liberating, freeing 
um, uh, like reverent experience. And, and you can tap into things in that storytelling capacity that we have to move you to do things that you would have never, ever done in a million years if you didn't have the ability to tap into those really excellent thoughts, visions. Yeah, and I think part of that, well, but that's, I think, yes, that's part of the creative process. And I mm. guess we're saying that it's all creative. And, you know, clearly there's creative processes that are unbelievably positive and beneficial. I, mm. I, I think the distinction that I would make is, you know, there's creative, and I know this is right, and this is why I'm right, and there's creative as in, I wonder what would happen if, <laughs> or mm-hmm. what happens if you see it this way? And so I, I see creativity as a function of actually being a more aware of the biases and constraints that we have, you know, you know, some of the most right. creative people have gone beyond the binary brain and said, well, really, you know, it's not really A or B. It's actually X. What happens okay. if you think of it as X? And suddenly everyone sees it differently. And so the, the cognitive bias that I'm talking about is very constraining. And if you can break out of that, you can be incredibly creative. Now, there's another part of that, depending on what you're being creative about, is <laughs> also to be discerning that, yeah, that's really creative, but you still might be wrong. Okay. Right. So yes. you need to go test that out. Yes. Yeah. And we talk at the beginning of the show, usually in the intro, we say, we just, this show is about encouraging you to think about where you are right now and where it is that you want to be. Um, where, and I think it's like who you want to be. And so when we're talking, you know, maybe a little bit abstract about like, what would awareness feel like? Well, I might feel uncomfortable or I might feel resentful. Once you capture that feeling and examine it, Uh, then you can figure out where is that feeling coming from? Is the feeling coming from misinformation? Is it coming from a lack of information? Is it coming from a blind spot? And then once you capture that, you can do something actively with it to turn uh, turn that um, resentment off and to turn off those feelings that are not serving you because they're not, and they're, those feelings, uh, unless you're in a building and somebody is coming at you with a gun and you right. need to make a decision to get out of there right now, that flight right. experience and feeling mm-hmm. that is a really, re- that's a great response. <laughs> Absolutely. And that is a great response. And that's, you know, and as we've got more sophisticated and got away from those sorts of primitive threats, mm-hmm. you know, we still think like that. So we still mm-hmm. think, think, you know, the choice is run or stay, okay? We still, yeah. in a situation of threat, the binary brain works great. It'll mm-hmm. get you out of there quickly. Mm-hmm. But most yes. of the time, we're not in that life-threatening, but we still have a brain that wants to conserve energy, wants to get to a quick decision, doesn't want to stand there thinking about it for hours. Uh, and as a result, you know, we end up with this sort of thought process that's not necessarily appropriate for the world we live in today. Yeah. You yes. know, where, where, where in previous, you know, previous times we were talking about needs, mm-hmm. now we're talking about wants, and there's a big difference between those two. And I know that when we get Dr. Johnson on here in a couple of weeks, he's going to talk a lot about that. Oh, I'm excited to I'm excited to interview him. I think that's going to be a very interesting interview. And so, for our uh, listeners, the tools that we've already shared uh, and that we do ourselves are uh, is journaling. That's one thing that helps people to develop mm-hmm. introspection. Uh, in the evolution of my book, Silver Linings, it just became apparent that. 
we needed a companion guide along with that for people to be able to access to do exactly that, just to be able to go, like, how do I ask myself really good questions? And then how do I reflect and answer them? So uh, we created a, a journal that has 26 really great questions for people to be able to think about and journal about and then to think about, is this the way that I really want to be in my life? Uh, but those tools of introspection are what move people from the thinking brain into the action of of fixing things. Yeah, and I think if people, at the very least, have some awareness of the things that we've been talking about and the flawed nature, really, of the, the cognitive right. process and how we think and yeah. be aware of that, okay, so now, and we all do it, okay? So mm-hmm. this isn't pointing mm-hmm. fingers. This mm-hmm. is just saying this is this is the human race, yes. although we hope that it can change. Okay, now I have awareness. Okay, so now let me, let me be a little more discerning. Let me not be quite so quick to jump to that opinion or that judgment. Let me examine that because, you know, it's almost certainly going to be an oversimplified view of really what's going on. Yes, and getting out of our own way about what the other person will be thinking about Mm -hmm. us, like, trying to figure things out. Because that, we often will tell us a whole story about, oh, well, so-and-so will think this of me if I go back and ask another question. And I just think, again, it's like, we are all one. We all do the same things. So if you approach, when I approach things, like, I'm curious, like, I'm Sherlock Holmes going, I don't quite understand this, or I didn't quite get that right. And then I go back and ask a great question. Like, you know what, I don't think I actually had that right. Or I think I misunderstood what you were trying to say. Or I don't think I actually understood the direct completely could you just explain it again and having some of the right words around things and and understanding that the person that you're talking to will have gone through something that is very very similar at some point in their life where they will have you know been afraid to ask a question or get clarity or any of that so it really helps when you know we're all in the same boat I think that's right. I think I think that's right. Because how many times have we all said, oh, boy, if I say that to this person, they're going to do this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sometimes, yeah, but a lot of the time, no. no. So, so we are talking about awareness. And we're mm-hmm. talking about a couple of other things. Um, we're talking about managing your emotions. And, again, I think that's really, really important that you don't, you aren't driven by your emotions. Because we are, tend, tend to be do- we tend to do that, but really trying to manage that. And the other thing is not be judgmental and really try to put ourselves in other people's position as best we can, recognizing that that's not going to be perfect. But I wonder what it's like. Okay, so you look at those things. You look at, you know, manage anxiety. Don't be judgmental. Put yourself in other people's position. Be more discerning. What is that? That is the core of virtually every spiritual movement there is. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Almost any religion and any spiritual movement talks about that, and they talk about that simply because they they have understood what we've been talking about today: that the brain is flawed, consciousness is flawed, and we can so easily be wrong. Mm-hmm. And it, so, and it's very very vitally important that we have something, some place, or some reference point so that we can get to that truth and like get like explode through the thinking thing and actually get to the really important nuggets of truth and those um, 
sacred uh, scriptures, mm. and that's not just Christian. That's all, you know, oh, many, right, many. Right, um, right. The sacred scriptures or sacred writings um, provide that for us. Uh, and, and it's a wonderful way to look at how do I reground myself or regroup Yep. And as I like to say, spirituality is the opposite of narcissism. And that's mm-hmm. sort of what we're talking about here. The ability to stand back. Yeah, what's going on, what's emotionally convenient and consistent for you is this idea. But wait a minute, you know, yeah, that's convenient. But is it accurate? Is it really telling that? Do I know all there is to know about this? Those are the things that are important. And um, so let's, how about this? How about on our next show, we continue this discussion in the context of spiritual development? Oh, can't wait. I am totally looking forward to that, Howard. (laughs) And so in in the spirit of that, um, we hope that you have got some insight, inspiration, and intelligence, (laughs) or lack of it, (laughs) from, from this episode of Master Your Life. Thank you so much for joining us. Have a great week. Thank you for being a part of our show today. Master Your Life with Leah Mattinson and Dr. Howard Rankin can be heard every Tuesday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Now, go enjoy your successful life. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.